I saw the UPS is willing to come back to the table after <laughs> after being like, oh, you guys were serious. 340,000 of you were serious about striking? Oh. <laughs> Have you seen, I was listening to the Minion Death Cult a few weeks ago, and one of the guys on that, he's a UPS driver. And so he was describing the the terms that UPS was trying to offer them. Mm-hmm. That they were like, listen, the Teamsters walked away. They didn't want to negotiate at all because UPS was like, so that thing that we created during the pandemic where we could just change your pay rate at any time and not notify you until you get your uh, pay stub, we just want to make that permanent. Is that cool (laughs) with you guys? I mean, if it's not, you guys can leave the table. Yeah. (laughs) Can you believe they walked away? I love the Teamsters president. There's a guy in my gym that wears a Teamsters shirt that I need to need to give him a my fist bump. Are you're not gonna walk up and say, Okay, name one album. What? <laughs> you know, like when when uh kids are wearing like old school band t shirts and like stupid Gen X gatekeepers walk up to them and are like, oh, name name one name one Rush album. You're wearing a Rush shirt, name one fucking Rush album. This Just go, up to the guy, go to the guy with the Teamster shirt and say, okay, name one strike. Name one. Name one. <laughs> You're I such feel... a big fan of the Teamsters. All right, name one. Where's Jimmy Hoffa? <laughs> I feel like the, uh, the difference of lives that we both live me having experienced now the dallas uh hostility constantly <laughs> on edge everybody <laughs> is ready to fight everybody else no i think it's just a couple guys in the group that you're with <laughs> it's really not just a co- no because there's a random guy on the train who's willing to fight there's somebody walking down the street who's ready to fight there's somebody at the restaurant who's willing to fight it's everybody's on edge the whole time because everybody's on edge the whole time. See, you got what I to what I had learned what I what I had learned was that it was a polite society if we all had guns. Like if Everyone we all had guns, we'd all polite. be politer about everything, and like way less conflict would happen because everyone's too scared to talk to each other because everyone's got a gun. You know, it would all be a way nicer society. That's what I was led to believe. I mean, I was just on the train sitting there next to TC and Jake. and Okay, okay. Now we know what happened. N- no. <laughs> and and Jake is, you know, wanting, like, asking about what the plan is because we're going to have to take an Uber. So TC's explaining that to him. Um, and I'm laughing because, you know, I- I'm like, wow, this is- they're like this in real life, too. <laughs> and which I knew. Um and then a guy just turns around in front and is like, you boys don't know where you're going. You aren't from around here, huh? Like just trying to start stuff. This old white guy who's headed up to Plano. I hope the train derailed when he was the only one on it. He's, he's probably just pissed because he was there. He still had to like chaperone his 35-year-old kids to the Blink-182 show. He was the guy that was like, this is a high crime area. Yeah, you don't want to get off here. Yeah, it's the train bus transfer station. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a high risk area. I don't everyone's here all the time. <laughs> I mean, I just laugh at those situations. Like I'm no longer uh ready to 
verbally spar with anyone. I'm non-confrontational for the most part, you know? Unless you need to take a shit at a grocery store. I will punch somebody (laughs) if they call me an idiot for not barging in to a restroom, uh, (laughs) trying to be polite and knocking. Yeah, the... The, I mean, I'm non-confrontational to the point where, like, you know, somebody just saying something, I'm not going, I don't really care. You're not going to interject yourself into someone else's life because you overheard their conversation on the train? (laughs) Well, I'm saying, like, I'm not going to say anything back to that guy. Okay. You know, because, like, you want what is is that going to get me, you know? I'll Um, show you high-risk area right here on this train. I should have just turned to him and said, good, because I'm a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, a place for me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I do have to say, I love the voices you do for your cats. (laughs) Uh, No one's supposed to hear that, Eric. (laughs) I've been missing it because it's so different than how I do the voices for my dogs, which, (laughs) as, as I kept mentioning to you, so my dog's like, they don't they don't have an extreme voice. It's it's a little high pitch and it's a little, you know, like kind of uh childish, like like what's going on over there? Like that kind of, mm-hmm. you know. My sister and her partner will do uh what I would call dumb lab voice for my Oh, see, dogs. that's just a condescending voice for dogs. The condescending it's, voice for dogs. Oh, oh what's Oh, I'm, I'm kind of hungry. No, that's not how they talk. <laughs> They're intelligent animals. Yeah. Look into Totoro's eyes. He is trying to manipulate your mind. <laughs> no, I, I, just, I, just, I just like voices. I'm, I'm, a, I'm my household's Gordon Keith. Oh, okay. So constantly <laughs> punching down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always making yeah. fun of my cats because they have autism. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's your house, your rules. <laughs> <laughs> They'll not grow up to not invite you to Thanksgiving, I'm sure. That's, we're, you know, that is the one thing I missed out on being a parent is like, I know I, I would have known I'd done my job right if my kids never wanted to spend any holidays with me. I would have like, <laughs> yes, I did it. I did exactly it the way I was supposed to do. This is the relationship that you're supposed to have. Yeah. <clears throat> They're supposed, supposed to leave to at 18 and never want to talk to you again. Have you ever seen there's like a... God, talking about so many podcasts. The Oh, I can't even remember because they stopped doing it. But the one where they would like break down a different rich guy and like all of the ties uh, they grub have to... Grub Stakers? Uh, it wasn't Grub Stakers... You're right. They do that, but there's there was another one. I forget the name of it. Um, but the guy who's uh, like on Twitter, Mister Too Damn Chris, um, he will retweet on like Thanksgiving and stuff all of the all of the boomers that are like posting a sad, you know, bologna cheese sandwich <laughs> because they have no family <laughs> to join them for dinner. What's never ending to find them-
get you in a room with my sister though because she is a cusp uh gen z millennial oh really yeah 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 um it's she she grew up with way too much internet <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> we got the exact right amount and it was all yeah. virgin internet when no one knew how to do anything on it so people were like what if we made some funny videos what if i uh <laughs> what if i filmed a, a thing of me doing my uh junior high talent show that'd be funny yeah right Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, you filmed yourself doing those things, but it was before YouTube. So you didn't have anywhere to, you just had it on a VHS tape yeah, that yeah. you would sometimes pop in when people were sleeping over. Uh, and then they would just complain five minutes in cause they're like, this why are you is showing me this? Funny. Sh- yeah. The camera works really bad. Yeah. Why is it shaky? I thought it would be funny to be shaky the whole time. So it's cool how these those cameras, where uh, you're, when you're on stage under like a spotlight, how they just pick up focus of anything just in the foreground, so that everything on the stage that you're trying to film is just blurry and out of yeah. focus. Yeah, <laughs> love love that aspect of all the VH tips of me back in like junior high and high school. Just everything that you're supposed to be seeing on the stage is just blurred out. It wasn't just my vision. No. Once I was old enough, I definitely took reins of the uh, cam recorder for like my sister's recitals and stuff. And I'd add some production value to it. We'd Mm -hmm. zoom in on her. We'd pan across the dancers. I'd get yelled at for not videotaping it right. (laughs) We never owned a camcorder. In my family, until well, my brother got one for his like ninth birthday, it's like an RCA one, you know. Yeah. Um, and then he would just use it to watch Austin Powers, the VHS of Austin Powers. He put it in the <laughs> in the, in the camcorder, and then on the little viewfinder, he would just watch the movie movie in his bed. <laughs> was he? Did he not have a TV in his room? That kind no, of thing. No, no TV. Or was it- no TV back then, but the the reason that they got it for him was because he was like getting into inline skating, and he uh-huh. wanted to like do videos of him like trying to jump off these little ramps he'd make in the driveway and stuff. So that was right. the initial reason that. So there are there are a few good videos of him like doing these jumps, and where he's like got the camera set up, and then he'll like bite it on one of them, and so it's just like him laying in a clump like. <laughs> off to the side of the shot <laughs> as you're just slowly waiting, watching him writhe in pain as he's like, ah. <laughs> but yeah, the, yeah. the best thing that he did with that camera, though, was um, he, uh, like a couple years later, I had showed him one 4th of July how to make dry ice bombs. And, you know, you get some dry ice and you put it in an old soda bottle with a little bit of water, you shake it up and you run away and it explodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he like built a huge one, him and his friend, and they like buried it in a hole in their backyard and set up the camera. 
And when the thing went off, it like left a crater in the back in the backyard and dirt like waned up way high in the sky and then came down and it all crashed on the camera. So that video is really cool. It looks like uh, you're getting ready to see an atomic bomb explosion like set up, you know, and then all yeah. of a sudden it goes off and then just the whole camera gets knocked over by all the debris and gets buried. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the best thing you ever filmed. And your brother is now Christopher Nolan. Yep, yep. All practical effects for Oppenheimer. Not one CGI. Yeah, I'm gonna that's gonna have to be a home movie, I think. Oh, so you're 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 punishing the theaters because you're trying to support the writers and the actors. I see. Well, I see how it is. I thought you were uh, a, a theater worker who, you know, knew that theaters needed to be visited right now. No, it's more I'm not going to convince anyone in my family to go see that. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, not like, yeah. You get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. No, uh, Nikki and I did think, hey, we're going to be in Hawaii and Honolulu next week when Oppenheimer comes out. Should we just go see it while we're in Honolulu? Like, do the two-step. Just go to Pearl Harbor first and then go see Oppenheimer. Right. <clears throat> I don't then know if that's poor taste. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll take you uh, just to uh, Hiroshima whenever you visit Japan. Okay. I'll not tell you where we're going. Yeah, we're going on a bullet train, Josh. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> it's, it's, how luxurious. <laughs> I'll just drop you off there. Mm. Look at what the, you've done. Show me the manhole will, where Wolverine survived it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> man, they really went off the rails. I love the theory that Christopher Nolan is making Oppenheimer because he's so self-conscious about creating the modern superhero movie that he. this is his like repentance. Yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. I, I am God destroyer of movies for the rest of time because yeah. I made the Dark Knight. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he does like little fluctuations like Interstellar and then he'll do uh, a more mainstream one. And then like I didn't I wasn't a big fan of the of the um, not Gallipoli. What's the what's the World War Two one he made about everyone fleeing France because Britain was a bunch of pussies. Uh, something Ridge. No, why am I not thinking of this, the most famous retreat of the early part of World War II? Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, the Battle of the Bulge, that's what it was. The early part of World War II, the Battle of the Bulge. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is that's World War One. That's the second 30 years war. Boom! <laughs> we brought it back around to the topic. So Martin Luther, um, I won't give too much detail on his actual life because there's, it's, it's a lot more interesting what occurs around him. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, his parents were poor. His dad, because of the mining technology at the time, became uh, more wealthy. They were starting to be upwardly mobile, which is something that is occurring because there's there's cities now there's urban populations mm. uh people are no longer just peasants uh but they're still being oppressed right and but you have like a merchant class developing 
of right. basically kind of force of a, a middle class is forcing itself <laughs> into existence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so they, with Martin Luther, his parents were like, you're going to continue this upward uh, trajectory for the family. You're going to become a lawyer. Um, and he said, okay, I listen to you really well. Uh, I'm a good kid. I make good grades. I'm going to go be a lawyer. Um, gets stuck in a thunderstorm, nearly struck by lightning, he claims. Um, it's probably, you know, somewhat made up. He was just scared of the big boom booms. It's his and, Saul Paul moment. Yes. Uh, instead of God talking to him, he thought that the thunder was talking to him, uh, which is slightly more believable than clocks talking to him. Uh, but I have experience with one, not the other. Yeah. And he said, I'll give my life over to you, God, if you just spare me. Um, how many people are getting struck by lightning? Not that many. I mean, how many people have said this? multiple times in college after they drank right. too much and it's the next morning and you're just fetal position around the toilet. How many people have sworn their allegiance to God if they could just spare them? And how many were just lying about it? <laughs> well, he's all knowing, so he's fine with you lying about it, obviously. Hey, this all knowing bit's going to be a real important point coming up here soon. So, so he... Uh, is spared, doesn't get struck by lightning. Um, within two weeks, quits law school, goes and becomes a monk uh, and is doing all the praying and the taking care of the monastery and all that kind of stuff, getting drunk, you know, all the things that monks do. Um, he gets sent off to, uh, it, what is it, Venice? I can't remember. Pisa, somewhere in Italy. Um, maybe Rome. I don't know. Uh, gets sent off and is meant to view the way that the church is operating, mm -hmm. but instead is just viewing how disarrayed the entire structure of the church is. You have prostitutes that are like standing at the church doors trying to, uh, you know, get parishioners to come out. You have priests that are just flying by the mass because it doesn't really matter to them. It's just like nobody knows the do. Latin anyway. Nobody knows the Latin. It's just, you know, it's everything's. God is so disappointed in you guys. That's at why this he hasn't point. come back. That's why he's delayed his return for almost 520 years now. And while he's studying in Wittenberg, which is like the, the, the university that he gets sent off to by the monks, because they're like, you're annoying the shit out of us. Like, go study. Um, he comes across this line in St. Paul's epistles that says the just shall live by faith. So it's salvation as he views it comes through faith, not good works, not mm -hmm. praying, not praying, not fasting, vigils, pilgrimages, relics, giving to the poor sacraments. None of those things get you into heaven. It is by faith alone that you get into heaven at around the same time in 1516, uh, Johann Tetzel, a Dominican friar. I remember the friars are like the university educated uh, people who counsel uh, congregate or counsel, you know, different towns and stuff. But they're they're the, not the same thing as like the priests. they're the one, the only ones that have access to a lot of these texts, a lot of these biblical texts, and like the adjacent biblical texts 
and they're the ones that are in charge of like if there's ever a discrepancy they can explain away the discrepancy between any of the books or anything like that they they get to hold that knowledge they get the special knowledge yeah it's kind of interesting how it's transformed now from judaism where like in my head i think that they're more like the rabbis who are like like we understand all of this stuff so we'll help people understand things that are complicated but the rabbis are i would say like a lower rung than what the friars were yeah yeah to yeah. to people you know, or to the hierarchy of uh, right right the friars aren't down there helping the lay people understand it they're the ones who decide the context clues and get to translate it and then that goes down to the priests and then the priests are the ones who are like go out into the secular world and use non-latin language to try to communicate it to people when it's outside of mass right so uh this uh dominican friar um comes to germany and uh is selling uh indulgences for the roman catholic church and as you do as you do and he's selling indulgences in order to raise money for saint peter's basilica in rome um he he has these lines that Luther describes, obviously translated so that we can have it nice rhyme in English, but he had lines such as, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Um, <laughs> which is not explicitly telling people purgatory gets you out of, or, or indulgences get you out of purgatory, but does kind of sound like, you know, the second you give money to us, uh, it's yeah. it's... It's fine. Um, the, the the money is the power is the thing that causes the money it is to the happen. Power. Yeah, right. And Luther obviously has such a big issue with this. Um, he writes to uh, he he writes these ninety five theses, which everybody's heard of. Uh, nobody's read, but everybody's heard of. And in the theses, he's asking for debate on indulgences. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not saying I'm leaving the church. That's not what these are. No, and well there and it's he's not the first one to write stuff like this. Like it is in the previous hundred years, like people have been writing stuff like right. this. Basically just a general argument. Please, someone let's have this the, it's kind of the it is the social posting of its time. Like this is like right. how this is the Twitter of its time. You just like introduce maybe a controversial topic and let's see if if I'll get some rebuttal. And the the thing that he's frustrated at is that they're not telling people indulgences get your loved ones out of purgatory. They're just trying to raise money and essentially leading people on to believe that this is how you get out of purgatory. And his main frustration with it is anyone who actually believes in God's judgment as just would know that you can't like any any suffering you have because of that is just itself. God is all mm. knowing. So if he's going to punish you for something, you cannot pay your way out of it. It anybody who believes in God should understand and feel the actual internal remorse for having sinned and resulted in their suffering and purgatory. And interestingly enough, uh, I find it kind of cool. He has 
what seems to be kind of a class understanding in his theses. One of the quotes being, why does the Pope whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus build the Basilica of St. Peter's with build the Basilica of St. Peter with the money of poor believers rather than his own money? I think Which, billionaires should build their own fucking football stadiums. <laughs> I believe that is, I mean, that's like the, when I was a Christian, that was the criticism, the only criticism I heard of the Catholic Church, pretty much, you know, other yeah. than the, the priests, you know, molesting children and stuff. But the, they have gold chandeliers in the Vatican. Why are they not spending that money to help? poor people and and i think the the other big thing of the revelation is not so much that um people are like yeah i would much prefer a belief system in which i had a personal relationship with christ and we could cut the catholic church out i don't think that's what everyone got jazzed on it's more the uh the very um innate evolved feeling that we have inside of our us whenever we get scammed (laughs) Like, uh, if you find out that if someone comes and tells you that your go to heaven uh, receipts are like frauds are like fake receipts and you don't what are you you're not going to go to the church and ask for the money back. Like, how how do you how are you how do you rectify the situation? Um, And so like there's there's like two, I think, natural human responses to when we get scammed is either we get very upset and we try to when we try to undo it or we get mad and we try to fix it and we or if we can't fix it we scream at people <laughs> you know type of type of situation or we're the other way where we're like I didn't get scammed this is it's right. fine this is I can't get scammed so all you guys thinking it's a scam you guys are a bunch of idiots I'm not an idiot I can't get scammed I totally believe all this stuff cuz it's real Right. Yeah, it's I mean, that's like I I loved the way that Chris Wade put that in the podcast of saying like, that's almost a universal feeling for humans is, you know, you're getting scammed, but you don't know how to put it into words. Somebody else needs to put it into words for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. Um, So he posts these 95 theses. Um, The Catholic Church then responds to him. And this is where Martin Luther uh, becomes the the man that history knows him as. He decides, I'm going to respond to the Catholic Church in vernacular German so yeah. that everybody can understand what I'm saying uh, as an argument back to your points of why these indulgences are a good thing to keep going. Um, that is where you get all of the issues coming from like Martin Luther's understanding that I actually want people to know what's going on within the structures of the church. So I'm going to just say it in the way that people will understand is like a level of, you know, it's one of those things where obviously at the time when he does it, he's probably like, this will help people understand what's going on. Mm. But that is such a gap of from what he actually turned into, um, right. like that. But it was such a catalyst, you know. 
a, a small decision that turned him into being this huge person in history. This person that time, because of all of these combining contradictions of the church and society, and you have the little ice age and you have death everywhere. Um, that's what makes him huge is he decides I'm going to speak the way normal people speak. Yeah. The, this also, this is the Pandora's box that, that we're still dealing with now, <laughs> uh, 500 years later, <laughs> we're st- still trying to be, everyone's trying to put everything back in the box to get back to the power structure that the Catholic church had before this happened. <laughs> right. And, but they're trying to do it in their own now fractured denominational ways. Like the Southern Baptist convention wants to put it all back in the box. Everybody wants to put it back in the box. The Presbyterians wants to put it back in the box. And it j- so it's just our rules. But the problem is, is once, once you get this, uh, this idea gets out there that, you can have some sort of interpretation of the religious text yourself. But then, two, that we have to come to terms with the fact that we believe in an omnipotent and all-knowing God. Um, and that does not jive. Eventually, like, people are quick to point out very soon after Martin Luther that, you know what, Martin, uh, if we keep thinking along these lines we keep thinking along these lines a little bit uh yeah that means that uh it's all predestination and there is actually no deciding on who's saved and who's not like god knows who everyone's saved and god knows who's not there's no way that you can get yourself into heaven no matter what like god already knows if you make it to heaven no matter what you do on this earth whether or not you have the faith thing or not it doesn't mean you get to heaven in fact a lot of the people that believe they're all still going to hell <laughs> yeah and and then it gets into like so what is the number of people that are like actually guaranteed to heaven like how do we how do we count them how are we going to count that number because it's a finite number it can't be everybody right because it's a the whole predestination thing so that's where you get uh the john calvin show up and be like let's keep thinking along these lines let's let's work this reasoning out to its fullest extent and see what see what happens how far how far can we go with this how many people can we piss off <laughs> yeah so well before that a little bit the as martin luther is having these discussions the catholic church is going back and forth with him printing these things out and i think the the state of printing at that point had had been for the church itself, Mm -hmm. Martin Luther started to understand that there was uh, an interest in all of his stuff. Like, you know, because people were interested in like questioning indulgences, it showed that people didn't 100% believe, oh, I need to do this in order to be saved. It's just like a thing you have to do. Yeah, yeah, it was part of the ritual. And the printing press at this point uh, in... In Italy and uh, I think Spain, they had very localized printing centers. But in Germany, it was very spread out. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, France and Italy. It was, they had concentrated centers of printing. But uh, Germany was spread out. And uh, Luther finds himself in a place um, after he gets put on trial and excommunicated. Um, he gets uh, fake kidnapped by Frederick III and put in the Wartburg Castle that has a printing press. 
And Martin Luther literally oversees the production of printing um, thereon. Okay. They print, they print uh, in the two years after posting the theses, this is a little bit before his excommunication, but still, he printed 45 works, 25 in Latin, 20 in vernacular German. Um, he printed a ton of pamphlets that like 21 of them were eight pages or fewer in direct prose so that people could just quickly digest the stuff. He hired like a local artist so that his printing works had like a visual component to them so people could see, oh, you're reading the new Luther work. Um, He started overseeing all of the stuff that... uh, to such an extent that he created a release schedule for all of his works. Okay. Like they, he, he turned it into an actual, you know, business essentially saying he's a publisher. This is how we're going to, yeah. He, he figured out publishing for the first time outside of the Catholic church. So now people are all like getting, getting all his books and putting them on a They're like, we should have like a shelf in the house where we, where we put all the all the Luther books. Right. Well, that's like before this time, books were like <clears throat> a luxury to have to show off that you have books. Once he started coming around, it was for everyday people, especially in cities. <clears throat> and his his beliefs took off in those German cities at first because you had this shift in society where people were no longer peasants only. They were still being oppressed in cities, and this urban population was living a life that was at a much faster pace than in the centuries prior, but they were alienated from this market, this market that they had to, you know, this is, the story is essentially the building of capitalism. That's like the 30 right, years yeah. war. But the you have this emerging market where people are told that their lives as peasants used to be well you lived on common land with your neighbors and all of this kind of stuff they no longer have neighbors in these urban centers they have to treat everyone as a stranger because the market and business demands that you do as a merchant and a laborer you're alienated from community because Everything is just through the exchange of money and goods. Um, And because of that, the structure of the church saying like, well, you have to give money to us because we're in charge of your salvation and we're the ones who understand the secrets of Christianity. That no longer makes any sense to these people. Right. Well, and and to have a, a rising merchant class, it does require literacy to start to be like, used by the it's a useful skill to have in the population in order to actually do the business that you need to do to make the money that you need to make right um so as luther is churning these things out and people are starting to see like oh i can start reading about christianity myself i can form my own ideas and luther publishes the bible in vernacular german Mm -hmm. so normal literate people can read it Everybody starts getting these ideas. <laughs> and as we mentioned before, um, criticisms of authority had existed, but people start realizing 
if he can question the authority of the church and the legitimacy of that, then what about the secular rulers that we have? Shouldn't they be questioned as well? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you then had this period of time called the peasant wars <laughs> where literally peasants are taking up arms against all of the secular authorities at the time. They're trying to overthrow the feudal order by saying, look, in the Bible it says God died for us to be free, so why do you own me? Like, there's yeah. nothing in this Bible saying you should be able to own me. Um, so they started fighting all of these authorities. Um, Luther himself, uh, because he was sick in the head, thought, no, I've already questioned the church. Nobody else needs to question the church. Yeah, yeah. Like, like all, like we learned from pedagogy of the oppressed. <laughs> right. <laughs> you, at, at, you, you hang on to 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 uh, your revolutionary ideas long enough, you become the oppressor. <laughs> right. He he was like very upset that anybody was doing any more questioning because he figured out the truth, and you just need to listen to what he says. Right. Right. It's not that now, everyone could figure out their own truth. It's that everyone could figure out his truth. Like now everyone yeah. can see it the way that I saw the way I was saying, like I told you guys. <laughs> I mean, this was, so the peasants were like upset because they originally had these parts of land called common land that people could, you know, grow crops on for themselves. All of those were starting to be privatized and owned mm-hmm. by these authorities. And they said, no, you can't grow any crops on here. And you still have to give me all your crops and you have to give your crops to the monasteries. Um, so these people were rising up. Um, Luther himself, he is no fan of the nobles, but he was definitely not a fan of peasants thinking that they could think for themselves. Oh, yeah. No, he, the interesting thing that I, in reading, was like, he is very romantic about the traditions and rituals of the Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, but I grew up in it and it was so fun as a little boy to do all these things. And when it comes like to the point of the Trinity, you know, he's like, I understand the reasoning against it, but still like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, I just, I feel the Holy Spirit in my chest. I can't. Yeah, I, yeah. I, that's still a thing to me. That's I, I. I still feel it, guys. I don't know. I'm. I can't go with you on this one. I still. I still feel him. I still feel the magic. <laughs> yeah, it's. It's. He. He has this like personal. What the hell is going on? He. Oh. Uh. Sadal came back. Oh, cool. Thanks, Toltaro. Um. He has this personal religious experience. Like. He cannot under he cannot fit his brain around these things that he has like a physical experience with like the eucharist as well he's yeah. like he's like anyway so real quick to wrap up the peasant wars he writes a pamphlet called uh against the murderous thieving hordes of peasants which Dude, is the titles you know, of these are are also i, I can't remember if that was <laughs> yeah. in the in the Chapo one where they're talking about the great titles of these different pamphlets or a different one yeah. I was listening to. <laughs> yeah, no, the everything's titled just like so in such biting criticism. And um, the 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 willingness to just I don't know, I'm going to throw in two dozen adjectives in this one sentence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um 
he in this he wrote uh so you think like martin luther good thinks that people shouldn't have to pay uh the church half of their year's salary in order to free in order to buy salvation good we like martin luther for that don't like martin luther when he says the gospel does not make goods common except in the case of those who do so of their own free will such as the apostles such as how the apostles and disciples did in acts 4 they did not demand as do our insane peasants in their raging that the goods of others of Pilate and Herod should be common but only their own goods uh, I think there is not a devil left in hell they have all gone into the peasants yeah 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 peasants um, aren't allowed to use roads that's yeah. what Martin Luther is saying <laughs> he's I mean I this is like it was a joke earlier saying that Christians were looking up to Pilate uh, in order to justify killing Jewish people he's literally saying the peasants the peasants think Pilate and Herod should give up their goods <laughs> for other people how ridiculous is that um so uh, and he of course uh tells people that they should smite slay and stab any peasants uh whether in secret or in in public because they they should be put down a uh, hundred thousand people were killed in the peasant wars yeah but i mean they're just peasants <laughs> right so the peasant wars they're just soccer uh, fans were were lost by the peasants which i think that was like the final point where the future of christianity in europe was going to be determined by the nobility. Obviously, the yeah. peasants, underdogs, probably not going to win. Uh, but that's that is what gives the trajectory for the rest of this stuff. So you have these, the religious authority in the Roman Catholic Church. You have these secular authorities in you know uh, the Habsburgs and the the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire and all these different lands, and you start to have these reform movements and leaders who are taking charge by saying that's not how the Christianity is actually supposed to go. Um, the interesting thing is with all of these different groups of religious leaders that are taking charge, you have secular authorities going, wait, what's that? You're saying I don't have to have all the money bleed into Rome. I can keep most of it. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you come preach all of that information, all that yeah. stuff over here? <laughs> we we loved we love this story in England. We love to hear about this story. Yeah, it's um <laughs> and importantly in Switzerland that had these different provinces and Switzerland had already gained their independence like a hundred years prior. Uh, in places like Geneva, you have John Calvin. Yeah, which uh, come about Switzerland is already neutral like that's not a thing that happens <laughs> it's not a thing that comes about because of the world war one and world war two like switzerland way early on in history is already playing like hey we're we're just neutral and you guys can come here to get away from all the people trying to kill you place <laughs> so yeah. yeah john calvin flees to geneva to get away from being uh killed uh, by by catholic persecution against uh Pro protestants um, and you know, th it's the one place where they'll like welcome them and be like, yeah, but we're totally not on board with your predestination bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we got all these other Protestants here and they're not on this predestination crap. All right. We'll let you stay. We're not going to kill you, but just 
shut up about the predestination crap, all right? <laughs> <laughs> the the thing that's very interesting to me is you had like the other Calvinist, I forgot his name, but he's somebody who like studied under Calvin and uh, had the same Sir with an S, not Cervantes. That's the f- guy who writes uh uh, oh fuck! You're gonna make me actually look at my notes. Uh, God forbid. Michael Servetus. Yeah, the one that like debates Martin Luther. Yes, and then the one he ends up, they end up being like, okay, yeah, well, he does need to be put to death. But then Martin Luther's like, oh no, but don't burn him at the stake. That would be too harsh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's. It's like this is one of those times. This is like you know. Seeing that, uh, knowing that Dolly listened to Madonna, like, you know, it's like one of those things where you're like, whoa, I did not realize they all occurred at the same time and were talking to each other. Yes. Um, they had their own Einstein Bohr type debates over things like, like there was a, some king that brought Calvin, um, brought Luther and this other Calvinist together. Uh, to debate over the Eucharist and whether or not it was metaphorical or literal. Um, And if it was metaphorical, then it's something that you don't need to do, was the Calvinist stance. Mm -hmm. And the king brought them together trying to unify the Protestant movements because, you know, much like you might see on the left now, you need some sort of united front against the power of the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Or we're all going to be stamped out one by one, you know? Um, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, the last the interesting note on uh, Michael Servetus, uh, he, he's the first guy that correctly describes the pulmonary functions of circulation in the human body. Um, he, because he's like, he's kind of like Descartes, uh, a later version of Descartes. He's willing to like, actually like cut people open and figure out what's going on inside their bodies. He, he did like huge, uh, published publications of human anatomy books and, uh, was also a, a whiz at mathematics and astronomy and all of these types of things. He, uh, is also like declared himself a humanist. Like first he was like, okay, I'm on board with this Protestant Reformation thing. Make me one of those. And he was like, wait a second, I'm thinking about it a little more. And the, you guys got it even wrong. I'm just, I'm just a fucking humanist. I, I don't think the Trinity's real. I don't think the any of the stuff's real. The predestination thing, obviously not real. Um, so when he's being pursued by the Catholics to kill him in France, he goes to Geneva on the invitation of John Calvin to get him a, to get him away from that persecution. And then over the course of them having like arguments <laughs> about the Trinity, Calvin's like, yeah, he should be burned at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so I mean, that's, and so they burn him at the stake. <laughs> so that's like why I wanted to make that emphasis, like uh, I think probably last episode that, it this turn from being like okay we're all christians or we're all good people or whatever to you don't believe what i believe so you deserve death is a major player in all of these movements the luther himself originally had um sympathies for jewish people he he was like well of course they're not going to follow jesus look how corrupt this catholic church is yeah how could anybody decide to follow that? 
then whenever he made his argument and they were like, no, we're actually going to stick with uh, our community and our traditions. He was like, fine, fuck you. Like you, you deserve death. You deserve like <laughs> he was like then turned into a genocidal maniac. Um, you know, uh, unfortunate that he was from Germany because it, it then went on to inspire right. uh, well, a like, lot of other things. I mean, go back to the black death, like the, uh, the rumors of, the, the uh, one of the original persecutions of the Jewish uh, people and genocides of them happens during the first Black Death round because they blame it on Jews poisoning wells around Europe, and that's what's killing everyone. Um, and so then it becomes just like an on-site thing. Like if you see a Jewish person, you just kill them right there so they can't poison your well and bring the Black Death to your community. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very, um, it's a German tradition. Yeah. It you know, they don't have many other traditions. So <laughs> uh so I think I wanted to point out the Anabaptists were also around this time. Yeah, yeah. Dude, let's finish it up with Anabaptists here. Give me give me some Anabaptists and why they all deserve to die. So the 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 Anabaptists were people that um so all the seven holy sacraments uh, that we mentioned, uh, actually, I don't think I mentioned all seven, but, you know, final rites upon death, baptism, the Eucharist, all those things. The Eucharist, uh, Luther said five of these don't need them. The Eucharist and infant baptism definitely need them. You need to save babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and he and to... he admitted, he was like, it's not in the Bible, but obviously right. this is an improvement we can make on the Bible. We can make one improvement on the Bible. It's infant baptism. Yeah, I mean, Luther pointed out, importantly, he's like, uh, the Pope is not infallible. Like, all of you can be making mistakes. So by understanding that, hey, there is potential to make mistakes in all of this, um, that's where you can get to Eucharist and infant baptism. Uh, The Calvinists against the Eucharist saying uh, it was just something Jesus did, but he's not telling us that we have to do it. Um, And then the... Infant baptism was the one that they still maintained. You got to baptize people. Well, the Anabaptists thought you can't baptize somebody and then be saved. They have to choose to be baptized. Yeah, it's about the personal relationship. Like the the whole point of the Bible verse is that you believe it. And can you believe it as an infant right out of the womb? No. Um, You know, this is kind of similar to like, you know, uh, the bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah in Judaism. This how I feel like it's related to it. Mm-hmm. You need to come of age and then choose to be a part of this community. You can see that as the material understanding of these things, but it's uh, framed in this religious understanding saying you have to choose to be a Christian. Um, but the Anabaptists were like not trying to just baptize people they were like taking over cities and burning down the monasteries and forcing people to be rebaptized um yeah yeah because you're 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 the baptism that you had when you were an infant when you got sprinkled doesn't count you have to have your personal confession of faith which is like still true in a lot of american protestantism like it has to be this public confession before the congregation that's how you know it's real it's not like uh, thing that you just did in private or whatever like you have to right. get out there and everybody has to know 
because it's back then it was a big deal because if you made the public confession, like that could mean now the entire Catholic church is trying to murder you. <laughs> so right. you, to show that you're in with us, you got to go out in public and say you're in with us. <laughs> and the thing that they, the next step that they took in Christianity was saying, not only do you have to choose to be a part of this community, once you do, we have common ownership over everything. Yeah. We, we don't have to die to go to heaven. We can make heaven on earth. We can have common ownership, no longer have uh, these structures that are oppressing people. It is, it, is, it is a communism, and I think that's probably what pissed off the, the Catholics most. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it <laughs> that, was. That, because that the Anabaptists did a communism. They're, they're, they, they took over this common, or they you know, took over land, made it common ownership. Um, they said, we don't listen to this ruling class anymore, which told the Catholic Church, hey, this is kind of messed up. And they were baptizing people. Now, the Catholic Church, uh, very upset at them, decided uh, we're going to come back and take back what's ours. Uh, in the town of Munster, most importantly, that the Anabaptists had taken over, um, Catholic Church goes in there, kills a lot of the people, takes a lot of the Anabaptist leaders hostage, says, you want to be baptized so bad, why don't I tie your hands and feet behind your back and throw you in the river? There's your baptism. Um, they take the heads of the Anabaptists and lock their bodies in cages that hang to this day off of the cathedral in Munster. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> So they, you can the, look they, up. They need to be up there for at least five hundred years for them to get the message. <laughs> they eventually took the skeletons out, but the cages are still there that you can see. This is what happens to you when you go against the Catholic Church. The part that I found so fascinating is uh, the Anabaptists still exist to a degree. The Mennonites are a splinter off of the Anabaptists, mm -hmm. and they because of this and persecution, too, right? Yeah, because of this persecution, they practice political quietism where they don't question out loud politics or anything, Yeah, but they seek land from donors to live in common. Um, and most of them migrated to the New World. So all the Mennonites in like Pennsylvania and everything, they're original Anabaptists, but they're like, well, remember what happened last time we talked about politics. <laughs> <laughs> we we got we got accused of fucking all of our children and then the and then the catholics came and killed us all <laughs> yeah uh so i think you know importantly to note um luther himself did not have the mission to destroy the catholic church he thought by presenting the truth to the Catholic Church, they're going to realize the mistakes have, that have been made over the last 1,500 years and correct them to go back to the original Christianity. Yeah. But instead, he encouraged people to question those things, and it ruptured Christianity in a violent, violent way. Well, it's the this is the time when uh, the absolute control of the special knowledge and information the 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 horses are out of the barn like you're not getting it back you can't you can't put it back in the bottle anymore um and so going back to having a 
completely controlled centralized power that ruled over millions of people's lives with impunity um those days are kind of over uh even with the power that the church regains and with the power that the catholic church even has today and that the power that the protestant different denominations have in america and things like that it's nowhere near the uh the power that the church wielded for its first thousand years or so um so it's it's kind of hard to put your headspace into a completely religiosity mindset that everything in your life is is dictated by these very few facets and you've got to do these things and your whole life is just this mess of anxiety and fear over being permanently tortured and you're the the life you're living isn't that great <laughs> right the one right. the one that you're actually living on earth isn't that great so to think that like this could go on longer or a worse version of this could be forever has got to be just so so much of an obstacle to get past in your head especially if you're not literate and you don't have the resources to think out of that paradigm yourself yeah <clears throat> and the years that followed after this were insane. When you get to the Thirty Years' War, you have uh, nearly eight million people dying as a result of battle, famine, and disease. Mostly famine and disease. Yeah. The the people who died in battle was like in the thousands, not single digits or single digit thousands, but still, it over thirty years of war. It is mostly. We invade our enemy's lands and then we just squat on that and take all of the food and everyone else dies that lives there. And this this sets up everything also that happens with the foundation of America and sets up like the entire our entire relationship with religion in America is set up by this. Um, like the the eventual even like the witch trials that happen in Salem, all of that stuff is offshoots of this reformation concept like yeah the interpretation of actual witches and demons and all of that those possession type elements are offshoots of people now free to <laughs> to interpret the scriptures as they wish um the all of that superstitious belief system and figuring out how to we really want to still be superstitious about stuff but we don't want to do the superstitions the way the Catholic Church did. So we got to come up with some other ways of being superstitious about stuff. And then just eventually kind of slowly getting to the point where we're we're finally not buying into the superstition as much. It's, it's just amazing how long it takes. Like the time. You have to go through multiple generations of like sons and fathers and grandsons and granddaughters of like yeah we all believe this because our family believes this and so that's like 300 years you know <laughs> like the the time to finally go from just being like maybe the catholic church doesn't know everything to now where there is this splintering and fracturing and maybe we finally have like the uh the edge on this critical mass of way more people are falling out of love with the uh, superstition and mysticism that is involved with Christianity and any of its facets. Uh, it's just, it's amazing that like, the arc takes so long. It takes so fucking yeah. long. Like, we're, al we're almost in, as far as, like, Christianity is around, 
we're we're like almost two thirds of the way through the entire Egyptian religion history, and we're still like debating stuff from like the foundational element of it at the very beginning, like in in yeah. the churches. It's it's a long time, guys. <laughs> it's been a long time. I mean the the thing that's important to note as we move into like the the next few episodes of this finally wrapping up the series <clears throat> is the foundation of capitalism uh, over the next, you know, 150, 200 years after this point is people coming to terms with religion on their own, uh, their own understandings of it. But working within this system that is, uh, you know, so powerful that they're not able to manipulate it themselves and realizing ways to work their religion backwards into it. The Calvinists are the ones that really drive all of these things in America. The people like the, the pilgrims and all those sorts of people were fleeing persecution, uh, because, their religion was, hey, we shouldn't be dealing in this market. We shouldn't be te- treating each other as strangers. We're all Christians. We're all uh, brothers. Why are we being forced into this market that's alienating all of us? And because of that, they couldn't work within the market. They had to seek refuge in a place that had free real estate and, uh, you know, you show up and Native Americans just suddenly die from plague because you showed up. Um, (laughs) But the Calvinists are the ones, because it's formed in Switzerland that's neutral, already developing trade routes, and then gets uh, exploded with, I believe, the Dutch. Mm -hmm. Um, Their understanding of how to manipulate the market is what drives religion and our modern relationship with religion well that that's the well when we get there but that's kind of an interesting part of the story is when the puritans get kicked out of england and they go to to holland because they're like yeah these are our brothers and then holland's like okay um you guys are even too extreme for our version of this (laughs) (laughs) so you guys got a ship you can get on i don't know it'd be cool if you weren't here anymore (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's treating others like strangers and having that alienation. That's that's the part that's so fascinating for me. So I'm excited to get there. Well, good job, Eric, on on Martin Luther and the Thirty Years' War. Maybe maybe one day TC can convince you that what happened to the Anabaptists they deserved, and you should learn the lesson from history. Yeah, yeah, he's. He thought it was very cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, how else are you going to make sure that people don't make that mistake again? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right, man. Until next week. Bye.